Psalms are such a wonderful expression. It expresses the full range of human emotions and, and human experience. And David, who was a believer, was, was not uh, ignorant of the fact that as believers we go through times of despair and discouragement. And in that psalm, he reminds us to look to the Lord who is our rock. This morning, I invite you to turn in God's holy word to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And our sermon text this morning comes from verses 9 through 16 of the fourth chapter of Ecclesiastes. So we continue to work our way through this book of wisdom that was written by Solomon under inspiration of the Holy Spirit and has been given to you and to me so that we may know and apply our hearts to wisdom to see the, futali- the futility of this world, as well as the blessedness of God in Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 16. This is the word of the living God. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity, and a striving after wind. Let us pray. Lord our God, we ask that your spirit would open up our eyes, that we may receive the truth of this portion of your word this morning. Help us to see its value in in instructing us and correcting us, rebuking us and encouraging us. To the praise and glory of your name, that your people may be strengthened And go forth glorifying you with one voice. Through Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. We all like to make comparisons. Alabama football is better than Auburn. Duke basketball, yes, you knew I was going to go there. Duke basketball is better than North Carolina, except for last night. The Red Sox are better than the Yankees, but better still are the Atlanta Braves. Burger King is better than McDonald's. Waffle House is better than IHOP. You may think Ford is better than Chevy or vice versa. Uh, Xbox is better than PlayStation or vice versa. These, these comparisons we all make in our lives, and there is, they're subjective. They're, they're opinions to some degree, but we make comparisons in just about every area of our lives. And sometimes we make bad comparisons. We compare our spouse to another person's spouse. We compare 
our children to other people's children. We compare our church to other churches. Why can't he or she be more like them? Why can't my children be more like their children? Why can't my church be more like this other church? We can compare our possessions to the possessions of others. Why do they have that and I don't? These types of comparisons are not healthy at all. They can breed resentment and jealousy and bitterness and envy. But this morning, Solomon is going to talk about two things in life that are objectively better. Not subjectively, like our opinions on food and sports teams, but objectively better than two other things in life. In verses 9 through 12, we see the advantage of friendship over loneliness. The advantage of friendship over loneliness. Solomon gives us another better than statement. The first time he has introduced this type of statement in Ecclesiastes is up in verse uh, 22 of chapter 3. He concludes, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. And when Solomon has these, these better than or nothing better than statements, he's talking about that above the sun perspective that we've talked about so much in our sermon series here, that, that perspective that includes God in the picture as opposed to the under the sun perspective, which has God nowhere in the picture. God is absent in that under the sun perspective. And so Solomon here this morning is, is talking about an above the sun perspective. He says in verse 9, it's better in life to have friendship and companionship than to be alone. And he gives us three examples in the succeeding verses. Verse 10, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Verse 11, if two lie together, they keep warm. And verse 12, if you are together, you cannot be easily defeated. The first example, if a person falls, the other person can help him get up. But if a person is alone and falls, there's no help for him. I remember when I was growing up, there was a, a commercial for a medical alert device called Lifeline. And, and the, it, the commercial began with a, a woman, an elderly woman who had fallen on the floor. And she said, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Perhaps you remember that uh, commercial that became quite a, a popular phrase in, in culture. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. She lived by herself and there was nobody there to help her. But for a monthly fee, she and anybody else who lived alone could have this medical alert device that they could press if they fell and Lifeline would be able to send somebody over to help her or him. Two are better than one. The second example is traveling together and and having to encamp in the night in the cold desert. And you don't want to light a, a campfire because then you would attract robbers and thieves. So what you do is you huddle together and use your body warmth to keep each other warm. That is an advantage over traveling by yourself and having nobody to keep you warm and nobody whom you can help keep warm. We recently read in 2 Samuel for our reading from the Old Testament about how David in his old age could not stay warm. And so what they did was they, they brought a young woman in to be a companion to him and to help keep him warm. 
And the third example comes from battle. In verse 12, a single person is easier to defeat or capture or even kill than going up against two people. And even better is if there are three people. And the, the advantage just keeps on increasing the more and more people you have in battle. The more people there are, the more advantage there is to staying safe and avoiding capture, avoiding defeat, avoiding death. So in these three examples, Solomon demonstrates that friends and companions help each other in work and in life so that they can enjoy the benefits together. Two are better than one, he says, because they have a good reward for their toil. They're able to work more efficiently together, and so there is a greater reward by working together. Even though they have to share the profits, share, split the results, there, there's a greater reward than if it was just one of them working by themselves. So two are better than one when it comes to work. Two are better than one when it comes to providing emotional comfort and meeting the needs of another, and two are better than one when it comes to protecting and defending each other. It was a beautiful thing to see this past Sunday when some of you took different parts of my family home uh, and uh, the Shivers stayed behind so that they could fix our flat tire. Together the situation got resolved and we were back together as a family at home at our house within 30 minutes. If I had been by myself, I didn't have the tools, so I would have had to call AAA who knows how long it would have taken them. I may have been here at the church all day. Two are better than one. And in that case, there was like eight. Eight people are definitely better than one. That was a beautiful thing to see. Benjamin Shaw writes, The man who thinks he can make it entirely on his own is a fool. Having others to help provide strength, protection, comfort, direction, guidance, and many other things. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we all depend on others for almost everything. End quote. There's an advantage of friendship and companionship over loneliness. The first time God in Scripture said that something was not good was when he saw that man was alone. So he created woman to be his helper and companion and for them to be able to mutually help one another. And so God establishes the creation ordinance of marriage because two are better than one. Man was not to serve and keep the garden alone. Man could not be fruitful and multiply alone. Man wasn't created to worship God alone. Husband and wife were to work the garden together. Husband and wife were to be fruitful and multiply together. Husband and wife were to worship God together. One reason God created marriage was because of the advantage of friendship and companionship over loneliness. Another reason was because it was better to work and worship as two together than by oneself, to do it alone. From the very beginning, mankind was created to be in relationship and community with others. 
Additionally, this first husband and wife team was also the first church community. From the beginning, the church of God, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, was a community. Even if you are single or widowed as a believer in Christ, you are a part of the body of Christ, and we are members of one another. The church, in addition to marriage, is created to help us have friendship and companionship, to give us that advantage, that better than going it alone. You need help. I need help in the Christian life. And I need others to help me. And you need others to help you in the Christian life. You need others to correct you when you sin. To pray for you when you are discouraged. To rejoice with you when you rejoice. And to weep with you when you weep. God's design for Christians is not to be a lone ranger on a deserted island. The Christian who claims not to need the church calls into question whether he or she has ever read the Bible or or at least properly understood the Bible. It also calls into question the genuineness of their profession. Because God designed his people to be in community. It was always a people together, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament. This is why church membership is is so important. Church membership marks us off by making a public and visible profession of faith that the world does not make in its unbelief. Church membership places us under the authority and discipline of the, the session, the elders, the plurality of elders, even in the church leadership. It's not one person. We don't have bishops. We have a plurality of elders. To watch over your soul, to care for you, to love you, to to guard you as a sheep, to protect you from the false wolves that are out there, the, the false preachers and the false teaching that exists out there. Church membership is vital to mark you off publicly and visibly as being a member of the household and family of God. Who of us here is sufficient enough in ourselves to say that we can make it apart from the body of Christ? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're sufficient to make it apart from the body of Christ. Thank you. I would need to see you after worship if anybody had raised their hand. Just in Paul's writings alone, there are over 20 commands related to how we are to treat one another within the church. And you cannot be in obedience to those commands if you are by yourself. How do you encourage somebody else if you're doing it alone? How do you love somebody else if you're doing it alone? How do you rebuke somebody else if you're doing it alone? You can't. The New Testament envisions this community, this household, the the temple of the living God as multi-generational as well. 1 Timothy 5.1 talks about younger and older men in the church. 
Titus 2, 3 through 4 talks about younger women and older women in the church. The church is not meant to be, in God's design, a homogenous group of people that are the same age and, and act the same and look the same and, and are of the same generation. It's not mono-generational, it's multi-generational. We need people of all ages in the church. We need people of both sexes, men and women. In the church, we need people from all types of experiences and walks of life in the church. This is God's design. It is important to have people your age who are in similar situations in life, but it's also important to have people who've gone before you. They're ahead of you in the Christian walk and in life experience, and they can pour out that wisdom and experience into you, and then you can also pour wisdom and experience into those who are not where you are. So just as you are learning from those who are ahead of you, you can also be helping those who are behind you and coming along. The, the point is, is that all of us are to be in, in each other's lives, connected, mentoring and being mentored, having ourselves poured into and then pouring ourselves out into others. That is the design of the church praying for one another, encouraging one another, loving one another, comforting one another. We pick each other up and we restore each other when we're caught in sin. Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If you fall down in the Christian life, the church is there to help pick you up. Spiritually speaking, just like Solomon writes here in verse 10, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. This is the beautiful mess that is the church. A group of redeemed sinners helping one another persevere by the power of the Holy Spirit to make it to the end of the finish line. That's what the church is. I can't do it without you. We can't do it without each other. If one of us stumbles in that race, and Paul calls it a, a race, the Christian life, if one of us stumbles and falls down, if Satan has placed an obstacle in our path and it trips us up, we stop and we let, reach our hand down and we pick that person up and we encourage them. Come on, keep going in the power and reliance of the Holy Spirit. And in all of this, because we are sinners, though we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we are going to step on each other's toes. What family doesn't step on each other's toes? We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to butt heads. We're going to hurt one another unintentionally or intentionally because of our sin. But at the end of the day, we are all going to be gathered around the throne of the triune God like we read in Revelation chapter 4, worshiping Him and glorifying Him and enjoying Him forever in perfect harmony together. So marriage and the church are both created by God for us to have community, to, to exemplify this principle that two are better than one, to have friends and companions so that we are not alone. But it goes even further back than the book of Genesis. God himself has always existed as a triunity. 
There has always been Father and Son and Holy Spirit eternally existing and loving one another and glorifying one another. Our one true and living God himself is a community of three persons, all equally God, the same in substance and power and glory, and yet there is but one true and living God. Our God has never been alone from eternity past, and he will never be alone to the eternity future. So marriage and the church is a reflection of the community and the togetherness that exists within the Godhead itself. Jesus' prayer, John 17, is that we, the church, would be one even as he is one with the Father. The unity of the church is a reflection of the unity of the Son and the Father together, distinct in person but same in substance. What is on earth in marriage and in the church is a reflection of what is in heaven. Our existence, our friendship, our togetherness reflects the very nature of God himself. So we see the advantage of friendship over loneliness from an above-the-sun perspective. Last week I said that we are more connected than ever before, and yet we are more lonely than ever before. We have access to all sorts of information. We have access to social media. But we don't have, truly have friendships. Social media is a poor substitute for actual real life embodied friendships and togetherness. Online church is no substitute for embodied worship in person together with one another. Colossians 3.16, encouraging one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Worship is a communal, corporate event. That's a reflection of the corporate community worshiping God in heaven. This brings us to verses 13 through 16, where we see the advantage of wisdom over foolishness. The advantage of, of friendship and companions over loneliness, verses 9 through 12. Now the advantage of wisdom over foolishness, verses 13 through 16. In verse 13, Solomon tells us his conclusion, and then he's going to use a story to illustrate his conclusion. So he's sort of working backwards. He writes, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Now, now, in Jewish thinking, Hebrew thinking, this is quite a shocking statement. Because in the wisdom literature, it's the youth who are typically foolish. Because they don't have the life experience yet. They haven't learned the wisdom from navigating the rapids and the, the rockiness that is the human life in this fallen world. So typically the youth are foolish and the aged are wise. But here that is flipped. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king. What makes the king foolish is his unwillingness to listen to the advice of others. Look at verse, the end of verse 13. Who no longer knew how to take advice. So he's isolated himself. He's cut himself off from listening to others. This is the connection between these two sections in the book of Ecclesiastes. This king is alone. 
He thinks he is sufficient in and of himself. And so he is foolish. What makes the poor youth wise is his willingness to listen to others. In the book of Proverbs, youth are described as being particularly susceptible to being entangled with folly and foolishness. The youth are easily swayed by peer pressure. They're easily ensnared by the enticing but adulterous woman. Proverbs 11:14, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. And Proverbs 1.25 calls the person a fool who will not listen to the counsel of wisdom. So because this poor youth is wise and willing to listen to counsel and has surrounded himself with others so that he's not doing it by himself, it is better to be in that condition than to be an old and foolish king who has power and who has riches but no longer knows how to listen to others and thinks that he himself is self-sufficient. This old, foolish king is of no benefit to his people. They want somebody who will lead them well. So verse 14, the, the poor, wise youth went from prison to the throne. He replaces that old and foolish king, though he had been born poor. Perhaps Solomon here is thinking of his father's experience, who was a a poor shepherd, but was wise in walking after the Lord, compared to King Saul, who refused to listen to the counsel of his own son Jonathan and to his other counselors and and constantly pursued David and did not walk in the ways of the Lord God. And so he had the kingdom torn from him and given to David. Perhaps Solomon is thinking of his own father's rags-to-riches story. Solomon has now taken the place of his father and people are flocking to him. People are coming from the ends of the earth. The queen of Sheba comes to him to to see and to taste and experience his wisdom. That's unlike any other person's wisdom on the face of the earth. And yet Solomon perceives that neither David nor himself nor even his sons who will rule after him will be remembered no matter how wisely they have ruled, no matter how much of a benefit their their rule has been for the people. David, as a a man of blood and war, was able to secure uh, peace and security uh, for Israel from all of her surrounding enemies. And then then Solomon enhanced the beauty and the grandeur and the glory of the nation of Israel. Her, Her borders were spread further than they had ever been. And the temple of God is built, and it's, it's grand and glorious. And nations are bringing their wealth and their tribute into Israel. And yet the whole reason the kingdom is split after Solomon is because Rehoboam listened to the foolish counsels of people his own age rather than the counsel of the older men who had lived and learned under Solomon. Rehoboam was foolish, and it it broke up the nation of Israel. 
And so wisdom, Solomon says, can carry you to great heights and create a rags-to-riches type story. Foolishness will lead to downfall and destruction. But both are fleeting. And so Solomon ends verse 16 with another Hebel statement. Surely this also is Hebel, vanity, emptiness, meaningless, striving after the wind. It is better to be wise than foolish, as that brings many advantages in life. But don't expect your wisdom to be remembered and carried along for generations yet to come. How does this point us to Christ? Jesus in Luke chapter 2 verse 52 is said to have increased in wisdom. Luke chapter 2 verse 40 says that he became strong, filled with wisdom. Everything Jesus did in his life was a use and demonstration of wisdom. But Jesus is also called the fulfillment of Old Testament wisdom. He says in Luke eleven thirty one that he is greater than Solomon, meaning that we should listen to the wisdom of Jesus just like people came from all over to hear the wisdom of Solomon. He is the wisdom of God, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. We read that in Sunday school this morning. He has become to us wisdom from God, according to verse 30 of that same passage. More valuable than being a ruler and having some form of earthly power, more valuable than having all the riches of this world, more valuable than being surrounded by peers, is listening to and following after Jesus Christ and his wisdom. And this is only possible if you repent of your sins and turn from your foolish ways to walk after Christ and to walk in his path of wisdom. It is impossible to gain true above-the-sun wisdom apart from Christ. And it is impossible to pursue wisdom apart from Christ. You can have all the intelligence in the world. You can be as smart as Einstein, Stephen Hawking. I mean, who knows the heights of how much they knew. And yet, apart from Christ, that is nothing. As Christians, Christ has subdued us to himself, and he, he gives us a teachable Spirit to listen to his counsel, which is the word of the living God. And we must remain teachable. We must never reach the point in our Christian walk where we think we've learned it all and no longer need to listen to God's word or listen to the preaching of God's word, for then we are acting like that old and foolish king who is useless and of no benefit to others. To remain teachable means that we need to remain humble. We need to maintain our friendships and our relationships primarily within the church and within the, the bonds of matrimony. We need to be humble to receive constructive criticism as well as the rebuke of our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can grow in our sanctification. We need to be humble to receive help from our church when we are discouraged when we are in poor shape mentally or emotionally, when we're not doing well, it's, our natural tendency is to run from the very people that we need. We need to be 
humble to receive material aid within the church. So the whole office of deacon was created in Acts chapter 6 because some of the widows in the church were being neglected. It is here in the body of Christ that together we can learn from Christ and pursue the wisdom of Christ while learning from one another and keeping each other humble and accountable before God. It is here in corporate worship that the reading and preaching of the word imparts the wisdom of God to us and points us to Jesus Christ who is called in Matthew 11 the friend of sinners and whose friendship is more permanent and more honest and more genuine than any earthly relationship we can have. Jesus tells us exactly what we need to hear. Sometimes we're scared to tell others what we think they need to hear, right? But Jesus rebukes us and corrects us from his word. Jesus is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. He never leaves you or forsakes you. Sometimes we can be fair-weather friends. Sometimes we get so caught up in our own busyness that, that we just overlook or ignore whatever another person is going through. I will say this. If you've been away from the church because of COVID or shame or sports, then I urge you to come back. Come back. It's not too late. Your family misses you, and we are worse off, and you are worse off when we are apart from one another rather than worshiping together. If you're running from your marriage because of troubles or strife or whatever, you're abandoning God's design to be the very help that you need. If you're running from the church, oh, I've been hurt too much by the church. Oh, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites. No, we're a bunch of saints, but we're still sinners. We haven't reached, as we heard in Sunday school this morning, we haven't reached that perfect sanctification yet, which will be ours in glory in Christ Jesus. Don't run from the church simply because somebody else hurt you. Don't run from the church. Don't run from your marriage simply because there's troubles. This is God's giving you an opportunity in those troubles to grow. The soil has to be tilled and broken up before you can plant the seed. The tree, the vine, has to be pruned so that it can bear bigger and better fruit. Do not despise the discipline of the Lord who disciplines us as children through the church, and through the marriage. I tell you, marriage is one of the most sanctifying experiences I've ever had. It's grown me by leaps and bounds. The, the two biggest things in my life that have grown me by leaps and bounds, the death of my father and getting married and having to learn how to live with somebody else. And those are the very experiences and circumstances and places where God grows us the most. If you've never turned away from yourself to Christ, now is the time to do so. Come to Christ and learn from Him. 
Stop listening to the world. Stop listening to your sinful heart. Stop listening to the lies of the evil one. For in Christ we find that friend who never leaves us or forsakes us. In Christ we find that wisdom that surpasses all earthly wisdom. And in Christ we are incorporated into his body, the corporate church. And from that engrafting into Christ by faith proceeds how we are to treat and encourage one another so that we may spur each other on to further growth in Christ. Let me close with the words of Philip Ryken. Quote, The children of God were never designed to live alone, but always with the help and support of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Every ministry of the church, from working in the nursery to planting a new church, depends on working partnerships. Sooner or later, we all need someone to reheat us with the gospel or pick us back up when we have fallen or help us fight a spiritual danger. Do not wait until you get into trouble to start looking for a friend. By then, it might be too late. Rather than assuming that you can manage your ministry or your sanctification on your own, open your arms to spiritual partnership. And as you have the opportunity, be the friend that someone else needs. Amen and amen.